Good morning. My name is Hope Gailey, and I'm a first-year medical student here at UNC. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. My name is Brooke, and I am here to tell you about an exciting new connections opportunity that we are doing, and that is a watch party on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So one of the things that I have really been missing is seeing everybody's face on Sunday mornings in the varsity. And so I wanted to kind of create that environment while we are still socially distanced. So I will be hosting watch parties on Sundays at 10 a.m. You'll just come into the Zoom room. We'll be watching the sermon together. And then afterwards, we can just talk. We can take prayer requests, whatever you all want to do. But just a way to say, hey, and, you know, see people on Sunday mornings um, because I've been really missing that connection so I really hope that this is something that you are interested in and would like to join me in and I am so excited to see everyone's faces on Sunday mornings. Hello everyone my name is Joel and I'm with Connections here at Love Chapel Hill. I want to say a special hello to all of you that are worshiping with us today. I want to say a special welcome to those of you that may be worshiping with us for the very first time. Or maybe you've been with us the last few weeks and we haven't had a chance to say hello to each other, to start a conversation. Well, we wanted to make that easy for you. All you have to do is go to the bottom of the video you're watching, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, and just scroll down and you'll see a link that says Connect Card. And if you open up that Connect Card, it just opens up this page with just some simple information for you to fill out to basically allow us to be able to talk back and forth. But at the very bottom of the page, there's an area where you can ask a question or tell us your story. We would love to hear your story, hear from you. And we will reach back out to you and let us know more about the church. Thank you for coming, and we hope to talk to you soon. My name is Sarah, and I'm a senior at Carolina. I'd like to invite you to visit us at lovechapelhill.com and let us know any ways that we can help your family during these times, um, or just find ways to connect. We have small groups, Bible studies, um, prayer meetings, and other opportunities throughout the week. I am really excited to be leading the College Women's Bible Study this um, this year, and we meet on Zoom at 8 p.m. on at 8 p.m. on Mondays. And um, yeah, you, we would love for you to join us from anywhere that you are. And Cordelia and I will be there every week, so we hope you can join us. Have a great Sunday. And time and time again, you have proven not to do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, you remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faith. To me, great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting saying I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. 
God from age to age, till the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. And history will prove that there's nothing you can do if you're faithful and you're true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I will remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word it will
thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me rivers of living water will flow from within them but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never-failing stream Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Uh, I just want to start today by uh, recognizing that today is All Saints Day on the liturgical church calendar. Uh, if some of you come from a more liturgical background uh, in the style of worship that you're used to, uh, you are very familiar with this, and this is a significant day on the church calendar. Uh, even though we are a very local church, uh, in our mission and in the way that we try to be rooted here in this community. Uh, and even though we are only 11 years old as a congregation, we intentionally want to root ourselves in that larger church calendar to remind ourselves that we are a part of a story that's much larger than ourselves. And so it's a story that stretches across time and across cultures. And so on days like this, we try to remind ourselves of this larger church family around the globe that we are a part of. So All Saints Day is a day that we pause and we remember, especially people who have passed away uh, over the past year. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to take a moment of silence to remember. Um, but during that, we also want to acknowledge other family members, uh, friends, people that we have loved deeply uh, who have passed away, not just over the last year, uh, but any time that you want to pause and remember them. 
Um, what we are doing in this time is uh, thanking Jesus for those people and for what they poured into our lives. We're pausing to remember them and to honor them. And the greatest honor of that goes to God for allowing us that opportunity of having their voices, of having their actions, of having their love in our lives in a way that has shaped us significantly. So let's pause for just a moment and thank God for those people. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to keep moving today in our series through the Old Testament prophets. Uh, this series called Kingdom Tide, where we see this message that runs all the way through the prophets, where they're calling us to these lives of righteousness and justice together. As Amos said, let righteousness roll on like a river, or let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never ending stream. And so we want to embody that as a church. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to empower that in us and to flow through us in that kind of way in this community. Uh, so today, the prophet that we're looking at from the Old Testament is my favorite prophet. Uh, this is the prophet Isaiah. Uh, I love Isaiah because he is a poet. I love the way that he writes. I love the imagery that he uses. Uh, most of all, Isaiah is known for this rich uh, messianic imagery and message that runs through his book, uh, runs through his writing. He's pointing the people of Israel ahead to the coming of the Messiah, the one who is going to bring redemption and salvation. So a lot of times uh, when we get around the season of Advent, as we're preparing for the arrival of Christmas and to celebrate the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, we really lean into the words of Isaiah during that time. And for some of you, uh, because it is 2020, uh, you are already skipping Advent and you're setting up Christmas stuff right now. Today's November 1st. And so some of you are like, this is this is my day. I'm setting up the Christmas stuff. You're watching this on your TV screen and beneath the TV screen is a mantle that is decorated with Christmas stuff. And the elf on a shelf is staring at you in a weird way right now. Uh, this is true. <laughs> if that is you, then good for you. All right. We all need something like that in our lives right now. So uh, Isaiah often gets connected to Advent and to Christmas because of the way that he so beautifully and powerfully points ahead to the reality of the coming Messiah. As a matter of fact, he is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. Um, in fact, he's quoted almost twice as much as any other prophet in the New Testament. And that is because of the way that he points ahead to the Messiah. And so those New Testament writers are looking back to Isaiah and saying, this is the person that Isaiah was hoping for and waiting for and was telling us was on his way, pointing to Jesus. So today we're going to read uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Uh, if you have been around Love Chapel Hill for any time at all, this passage is probably going to be familiar to you. Uh, this is one of our key scripture texts that we are rooted in as a church family. Uh, I do not apologize for coming back to it again. I do promise we will continue to come back 
to it uh, year after year because this is a text that is a framework for us and it's a rooting place for us. So here's what Isaiah has to say. Chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, and hear the way that it points ahead to the person of Jesus and for the way that the mission of Jesus continues through us today. Holy Spirit, teach us as we read from your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Here's what he says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Amen. Amen. I love this uh, vision and this poetry that is coming from Isaiah here in this passage. It's beautiful. It's stirring. It's inspiring. But the most significant thing about this is not the way that he writes or even the imagery that he uses. The most significant thing about what Isaiah has to say right in this passage is the fact that it shows up hundreds of years later. It shows up in the mouth of Jesus himself as Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is announcing the kind of kingdom that he has come to establish, as he's announcing that he is the Messiah who has arrived and has brought the kingdom with him, this describes that kind of kingdom and the declaration that this prophecy is fulfilled in him. So we're going to skip right to that, and we're going to read Luke chapter 4 and what Jesus has to say in that passage. You're going to hear those words of Isaiah repeated Again, But this is so significant, the way that Jesus uses this passage as the description of what he has come to do. We're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
powerful, absolutely powerful. This moment of Jesus announcing the arrival of the kingdom and saying that what Isaiah saw, what Isaiah had hoped for, and that promise that he got the taste of, you are living it right now. It is fulfilled here and now in this day. So there are a few key terms that we're going to pull out here and walk through together, uh, focusing in really on Luke chapter 4 and the way that Isaiah is echoed there in Luke chapter 4. The first thing that I want to point out is that it says that when Jesus got done reading, he sat down. He sat down. Uh, The reason that is significant is not just because Jesus' turn at reading the scripture was up, and so he went back and sat down. But after he sits down, he makes this proclamation that today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's significant that he sat down because in that Jewish culture, uh, when a teacher was preparing to teach on the scriptures, they would take a seat. Uh, In our culture, for the most part, students are seated and a teacher is standing in the classroom. Uh, Remember remember those days? Uh, And so, um, but in the Jewish culture, instead, uh, the, the teacher would sit. And it was this sign of the teacher's authority that the teacher was beginning to speak with authority on that scripture. So that's what Jesus does. And what is his sermon on the scripture? What does Jesus say to unpack the scripture for them to help them understand the meaning of it once he sits down? He simply says this, today this scripture is fulfilled and you were here to hear it and you were here to see it. It's powerful. That hope that Isaiah had seen And that hope that Isaiah had promised was now sitting right in front of them and speaking to them. And they were watching the promise come true and unfold in that moment. It was a scandalous thing for him to say, but it was the truth. And they had been waiting forever for it. And now it was becoming reality. The next part about this that makes this so scandalous for Jesus to say is this key word there, anointed. Isaiah says that the Messiah is the anointed one. And so that that term anointed um, in their minds would have immediately taken them back to the story of King David. Uh, Samuel the prophet anoints King David, setting him apart as the king who will rule God's people with God's heart. And so then that sense of anointing uh, was connected with that sense of the kingship. And so the word Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. In, In the New Testament Greek, it's Christ that also means anointed one, same term basically. And in the Jewish mind, that that sense of Messiah, anointed one, was connected with the kingship and the one who was sent to reign over God's people. And so Jesus is announcing that he is the king, that he is the king that they have been waiting for. The next word that's so key there, the next little phrase, is he says, I've been anointed for what? To preach good news. To preach good news. Jesus is the good news. He is the good news. Uh, in the in the Greek, um, the word that we translate as gospel, it means good news. Jesus is 
the gospel. He is our hope. And the reality is that because God is holy, we can never hope to make our way to him. But because God is love, he comes to us. Jesus Christ in flesh and blood who lays down his life for us as a sacrifice for sin to bring us forgiveness for sin, but also to defeat and dismantle the power of sin in this world. But he didn't stop simply with the sacrifice. He also continued (coughs) by conquering sin and death itself in the resurrection. This man who lays his life down for us out of love for us also picks his life back up in resurrection power, bringing new life to us. And he's saying that both of those things are available to you right now. Forgiveness of sin and new life in him, resurrection life in him. I'm challenging you to embrace that and to pray about that and to open your heart up to what Jesus is saying to you in that invitation. For some of you, today's the day that you take that next step and you make that decision. I'm going to embrace this good news of Jesus. We're in desperate need of good news right now. But the news that we need most is Jesus himself. I challenge you to embrace that. If you want to embrace that and you want to symbolize that through the act of baptism, uh, then we encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, You can go to our website and find out how to reach out to us on that. We would love to celebrate that with you. So here's the thing. The good news is Jesus himself. And what kind of good news is he preaching about his arrival? He's saying this, not just the announcement that he's king, but here's the kind of kingdom that is coming with him. Good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, sight for the blind and release for the oppressed. That's hope. That's the hope that Jesus brings with him. And then The last reference we're going to look at is a strange statement that Jesus makes when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that he's been anointed and sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Insert your favorite uh, 2020 joke right there about the year of the Lord's favor. If you have memes, send me the memes, please. All right. Jesus and memes are getting me through. So please send me anything you got. What does he mean when he says that? When he says the year of the Lord's favor, what is he talking about? Uh, Scholars pretty much agree, Old Testament scholars and cultural scholars about Judaism of that time pretty much agree that what Jesus is referring to uh, is this thing that's written into the Old Testament law that's known as the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. What is that? Uh, It's basically this super Sabbath year. Okay, the Sabbath was a really important part of Jewish culture. And because of that, every seven days, they had a Sabbath day. The seventh day was set aside as what they called the Sabbath day. God declared it holy and he commanded them to rest, to to not do any work on that day. Why? Well, it goes back to Genesis and the creation narrative of chapters one and two uh, that God creates for six days. And on the seventh day, uh, he rests. Humanity is created on the sixth day. So our first full day of existence is a day of rest. And God sets this rhythm for us. And so we begin existence in 
rest. Rest, the rest of God, the Sabbath of God is not something that we earn as a reward for the work that we do. Instead, we flow out of it. It's the beginning. It's the starting point. And everything that we do flows out of that rest and that good word that's already been spoken over us of our belonging to him. The Sabbath was given to uh, the Jewish people as a law in the Ten Commandments. And then the details of that written out other places in the law. But at Mount Sinai, where God gives the law to Moses. And what's the context of that? It's coming off of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt when they had been told that the only thing that they were worth was what they could produce. And now God is breaking that cycle. He's breaking that yoke of slavery and he's breaking that burden as well and saying, it's not about what you can produce. It's about who you are in me. You are mine. You are mine. So you, rest isn't something that you work your way to earn. It's something that you're flowing out of because it's who you are. It's a part of your identity in me. And so God gives them this gracious gift of the Sabbath and says, every seven days, you're going to remember that you're mine and you're going to rest in that. Rest in that. So every seven days, there was a Sabbath day. Every seven years, there was also set up to be a Sabbath year. And in that year, uh, in this agrarian culture, they were told that in that year, they were not to farm the fields in that year. They weren't to plant or to harvest in that year. They should let the, ran, the land rest and let the land heal as well. And so let the land, let the fields lay fallow for a year so that they have a chance to replenish and be restored and to rest as well. God cares about his creation. Yes, he cares about humanity, but he also cares about all of creation around him. And as Christians, we should care about creation too. That is, that is the most obvious connection for us to make in that whole story as we read through God's care for creation. So there's not just seven days. There's not just seven years either. There's also this cycle of seven years. So after seven cycles of seven years, uh, after you've gone through the Sabbath year cycle seven different times, in that 50th year, God said, set that year apart as like a super Sabbath, as the year of Jubilee. And how are you supposed to observe that? And how are you supposed to celebrate that? It's not just resting for a day. And it's not just letting the land rest for a year. But here's what he says. In that year of Jubilee, all of the debts are to be forgiven. All of the debts are to be forgiven. Amen. Come on, sign, sign us up, right? Another part is that all of the land that has been sold is to be returned to the original family who owned it. Now, that one sounds a little weird to us. That doesn't sound very fair, right? But you have to remember that the land was given to the people as their inheritance, and each of the tribes received this inheritance to them. They cherished the land. They valued that inheritance. The only way any of them would have sold their land was if they got into such an economically uh, disastrous place and in such an economic trap that they had no other hope except to sell their land. And God says that economic despair will not be forever for you. In the 50th year, that land comes back to your family because that's the inheritance that I 
gave to you. Economic despair won't have the last word over you. And then the final thing is this. The slaves were set free. The slaves were set free. If any person got themselves into such an economically difficult position that they had to sell themselves as slaves to someone else in the 50th year, the debts are forgiven, the land is returned, and the slaves are set free. It's a full restoration of the way things were always designed and meant to be. Isn't that an absolutely beautiful picture? What an, what an incredible economic system that God designed for his people. It's full of mercy, it's full of grace, and it's full of justice at the same time. It's absolutely beautiful. But here's the problem with it. It never happened. It never happened. There is no record in the Old Testament that anybody can point to definitively to say, here's a time in their history where they actually celebrated the year of Jubilee. Of course they didn't. We couldn't do it either. It's too hard. It's too hard. If you've accumulated the power, there's no way you're giving that up. If you've accumulated the wealth, there's no way that you are giving that up. And so they never celebrated the year of Jubilee. It never happened. Until one day in this backwoods synagogue, in a little nowhere town called Nazareth, a carpenter's son stood up and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, I have come to declare that I am the king and the kingdom is coming with me. I have come to declare the gospel, the good news, freedom for the captives, good news to the poor, release for the oppressed. And I have come to set into motion the year of Jubilee. The debts are forgiven and the slaves are set free. This is Jesus. He is this kind of king who ushers in this kind of kingdom. There is so much hope and beauty in that. I think a lot of times as Christians, we either try to have the king without letting the kingdom come with him. Or we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king to rule. And we try to divide those two apart. It's what we've been talking about through this whole series of righteousness and justice combined together, that you cannot separate those components of God's character. Righteousness and justice together, they must flow together. A lot of times I think we try to separate it out. We want the king and we want him to leave the kingdom over there in a way that doesn't affect us and ask anything of us. Or we want the culture of the kingdom without having the reign of the king himself. It doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. The way of Jesus demands both and requires both righteousness and justice together. The image of the river that Amos paints has been haunting me in some ways recently. I keep coming back to it. And this declaration of justice rolling on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. And I keep getting this sense that we are trying 
to divide these rivers apart, this river apart from each other into two separate streams. And when we do that, both streams end up shallow. Both of them end up shallow. For Christians who want righteousness only, a lot of times people who would consider themselves conservative Christians really focus on the righteousness and they think about their relationship, their personal relationship with God. And at the same time, somehow they're able to block out how their lives have any effect on the others around them. And they want to keep justice at bay and that relationship with other people at bay as if that can be divided out. I want to challenge you today, if that's you and you're trying to stay in a stream that is only righteousness and you're trying to ignore justice and try to keep justice at an arm's length, that's not righteousness. A righteousness that rejects the other means that the only thing that's left is the self. That means it's self-righteousness and that is condemned in Scripture. If you want righteousness only, then I promise you that stream is going to run dry. You're going to find yourself dancing around in a creek of ankle-deep water claiming that you can walk on water when really you're only standing ankle-deep in a shallow stream. He wants so much for you. And when you reject the other you make it only a self-righteousness. And he's challenging you on that today. At the same time, Christians who may call themselves progressive, who are very passionate about justice, you must be careful not to reject the king. And you must be careful not to reject this call into holy love of following Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving him with all that you have. If you aren't loving him, then the strength to love others will run dry. Your stream will run dry as well. It will not be the mighty river that Amos saw. It will become a trickle that ends up lapping up against the dam's of injustice with no power to move them at all. The real injustice in this world, racial injustice, economic injustice, the reality of white supremacy in the culture and in the church, the reality of injustice against women, the reality of environmental injustice, all of it. A justice that is only justice will never be strong enough to take down that dam. But when it is sourced by the overflowing, never-ending, overwhelming love of God, He has the power to sweep down anything that stands in the way of that kingdom tide that we have been talking about and longing to see become a Reality, Righteousness and justice, two streams flowing together in a mighty river, a deep current that has the power to bring about true transformation in this world, empowered by the love of God. Your allegiance is to the king. 
and your culture is of the kingdom. And Jesus is standing in our midst today saying, this has already been fulfilled in me. Open your eyes to see it and now follow me to live in it. My name is Val and I'm part of the Connections team at Love Chapel Hill. I am excited to end our time together this morning. I have been thinking a lot about how our world just gives us so much information. We are constantly surrounded by notifications and opinions and distractions and we oftentimes miss what is happening uh, right in front of us. And I think sometimes that can even happen when we watch church. We watch it, listen, feel good, and then we kind of just go about our lives and move on. 
and sometimes even forget to watch it maybe. Um, so this morning, or I guess whatever time of day you are watching, I wanted to give us some time to reflect on what we've just heard, to reflect on what is happening in our lives and in our communities. And I'm going to do that by just reading the scripture that Matt preached about today. And as I'm reading it, I encourage you to just listen. And if anything stands out to you at all, just write it down, underline it, say it again, whatever it might be, uh, to think about what what it is that uh, is in these words and why Matt shared them and what they can do for you. So here we go. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So as you listen, just think about one thing that stood out, a word or a phrase, and wherever you write it down or underline it, make sure you put it in a place that you can come back to throughout this week. Think about what it is that is speaking to you and why. How does it connect with what's happening in your own life or in your community or in the world that we get to live in? And then I encourage you to keep that with you throughout the week to think about what it is that God is doing for you um, and why it's so important to reflect on what he is saying to us um, every day. Mm-hmm.